Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. We are from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church with five locations in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Fully Delighted Podcast. I'm Eric, one of the pastors here at SMCC, and I get to be the host for the podcast this week. If you're brand new to our podcast, the Fully Delighted Podcast, this is a podcast about um, all the things happening through the ministry of SMCC here in Utah. Um, If you've enjoyed this podcast, seasons one, two, or three, leave a review or share this with someone that you think would find this helpful. Um, In season one of the podcast, we talk about the mission, vision, values, core beliefs, and the culture of SMCC. In season two, we press into that a bit more while sharing the story of SMCC. And now in season three, we are sharing the stories of people who have experienced that culture and what that experience for them was like. Those people have come out of an LDS background, and so whether that describes you or maybe you're a transplant to Utah attending SMCC and you want to know more, these stories have been so incredibly valuable. Uh, Today on the podcast, I have Pastor Paul. How you doing, Paul? Doing really well. Man, glad to have you here today. And then we also have Becky. Becky, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I don't know you that well, Becky, so I'm really excited to hear more of your story. I know Paul knows you a bit better than I do. Um, so we are going to dive into your story. Um, Paul, you want to get us started? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Becky, you and I have talked about this and, and your husband, John, um, for the last couple years about our connection in Bakersfield. Yeah. It's kind of a weird... It's crazy. ...crazy thing. Yes, but, but that's Bakersfield. I think you had people <laughs> tell you guys about us. We did. And then we met in the lobby, and then we've been doing stuff together and being Bible studies together and everything Did else. we just become best friends? I think so, <laughs> just like that. It's been a lot of fun. And yeah. even golf is involved, so it's even better. It is. It's been. Do it's you play been, golf? Yes. Or your husband? You do? Yeah, oh, so wow. I started playing golf when I was a kid. My dad was an avid golfer, and it was kind of our time together growing up. So, oh. in fact, my husband's first time golfing, I took him on our honeymoon. It was his. Oh, wow. And now he's way better than I am. So. Can you beat Paul, Becky? Are you better than Paul? I don't think so. Oh. Paul's a really great golfer. Eh, that's debatable. Yes. <laughs> Eric's just a little bit better. That makes Eric a really, oh, really good golfer. Now we're in trouble. Oh. He beat me by one stroke this year. That's okay. amazing. It's close. <laughs> All right. So uh, what is interesting, I think, about your story is... Um, how you moved from California to Baker, uh, from Bakersfield, California to Utah. Yeah. And instead of this whole big life change happening outside of Utah, it happened inside mm-hmm. of Utah. And so we're excited to hear your story. Let's just start with uh, tell us what it was like to grow up LDS. Tell us about your family. Tell us about your own faith journey as a child. Yeah. Um, we didn't grow up in Utah. We grew up, I mean, I was born in Oregon. We lived in Wyoming for a while. We lived in California. We just kind of bounced around a lot. My dad was um, in oil and energy and um, was very uh, hardworking, but he, he also was very eager to be successful. And um, he, he knew somewhere in him that he had that ability and he wanted to not just provide for his family, but provide for his community and his church. And he just always had this, he has a love for people and um, that has obviously propelled him and, 
in many ways in business too. But we ended up in Bakersfield, California when I was in seventh grade. And growing up Mormon, I guess you just don't even really make the connection or comparison. For, for me, it was just our life. And um, Bakersfield has a, a hodgepodge of religion everywhere. I mean, you there is a church on every corner and it's not just the Mormon church. I mean, you've got Baptists and the Lutherans and the Methodists. And I mean, there's, there's Catholic, every, everything you could imagine on in Bakersfield. So, um, I think I felt more planted and rooted in my religion because I had to represent what a Mormon family looked like. Whereas you, you don't necessarily feel that pressure in Utah because your neighbors are, and you know, there's, within a mile radius, hundreds and hundreds of, of members of the church. And um, that was not the case in where we grew up in Bakersfield. So I had a, a group of LDS friends that we kind of hung out on Saturday nights and my school friends, we hung out on Friday nights. But there were a few times I would show up to school and my friends had had, you know, somebody had had a sermon on the Mormon church at their Lutheran church and mm -hmm. someone would come up and say, we're praying for you. And I would say, well, thank you so much. I <laughs> really appreciate the prayers. So... Um, but there's a lot of um, rhetoric that goes on culturally within the Mormon church where we were just told, well, it's always misrepresented and we're kind of a, you know, a, a persecuted people. And so you, you, you just kind of tolerate those things and uh, Bible bashing is not something that we did. And you just kind of educated through, through being an example and um, so, like I said, there I, I really didn't know any other way. So you you would say you're happy being LDS. Yes, absolutely. I had a great childhood, wow. loving family. Um, my parents were incredibly active in the in the Mormon faith, and then we became very active in the the Mormon faith. But we, they weren't um, the kind of parents that like. I mean, it was always understood that we were going to go to church and that we were going to be at every activity, and we were doing all of these things. My mom even taught early morning seminary for 11 years to make sure all her, five of her children graduated seminary. So we would start at 6.30 in the morning and be done at 7.30 and then walk across the street to the high school. And um, yeah, she did that voluntarily for 11 years. And um, and then my dad always served in a, a leadership position within the church as bishop or a stake president or a mission president or... Wow. So they were they were very involved. It it wasn't really something we belonged to. It was just kind of part of who we were as a family. So as you were talking um, about your dad being an entrepreneur, being business minded, eager to yeah. be successful, you use those words. As I've been in Utah five and a half years now, I've observed a few things about uh, Utah culture, um, and I think it's connected to LDS culture as well. And I thought I'd have you mm -hmm. speak to this for a second. Um, so this idea of type A people, entrepreneurs being very successful, um, and then finding themselves in a religion where they need to be type A and very successful, as if God is the boss and they're waiting for the next promotion yeah. from him. Yeah. Um, I've observed this. Did you, have you observed that in your experience, in your journey? Yeah, there's definitely um, something that lends toward the idea that the better person you are, the more rewarded you are financially as well. Um, with, I mean, everything from blessings of safety to monetary blessings as well. I mean, I, I've heard even feels, well, they're just living right. You know, you oh, hear yeah. things, you hear things like that. And, um, there, there is an aspect, uh, 
of growing up in the church where, I mean, as a four-year-old, you're standing in front of hundreds of people bearing your testimony of what you believe and what you know to be true. And so you learn from a very small age that you are standing for something and you are representing something. And um, there's even a place where if you're not also converting and sharing the gospel, then you're not really that great of a Mormon. You're not bringing people the truth and the most important thing you could share with someone. Mm. So then you feel this level of responsibility. And then if you don't live up to that responsibility, there's a level of guilt for not living up to that and Mm -hmm. not sharing it. So um, all of those things almost play towards that that sales ability Mm. um, where you don't even realize that you are selling people on something because you're just sharing something Great. And I can tell you from some of uh, the best salesmen I've ever met, they don't consider themselves salesmen. They just consider themselves really great sharers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's interesting. I had a friend uh, maybe 10 years ago or so give me a Book of Mormon. This is long before I came to Utah Mm -hmm. and it said on it, Eric, you'd make a great Mormon. And I think that was because following Jesus, I had a lifestyle that looked moral, I guess. And at the same time, being a type A person who's Mm -hmm. a go-getter. I think that would have made me a good Mormon. At least he thought that. Yeah, so. they're looking at you like, you don't swear a lot. Yeah. You could probably pay tithing. And- I have too many tattoos, though, to <laughs> be a good Mormon. <laughs> so uh, in Utah, there's the the beehive. It's the beehive state. Yeah. It's on the signs. Is, can someone explain that story? It's all about industry. Mm-hmm. Industry. Mm-hmm. So you have a dad who was very industrious. Yes. He grew up with that. And so yeah. then you came to the industry state, yeah, and I the think, beehive state. I think that entrepreneur spirit more came from his dad, who was also a convert. That was even before the church. I mean, he just saw his family really dedicate themselves to providing. Um, But the church creates a system um, to where everything from serving a mission to going to a church school to this level of indoctrination um, to where again, the more money you pay in tithing. And I mean, all of these things lend towards building the kingdom mm-hmm. to where almost the most attainable thing or, or what you're progressing to while you're still on this earth is to make enough money that you can someday serve a senior mission and you can now dedicate all of your finances and all of your life to developing this kingdom of mm-hmm. God, uh, you know, through membership. Huh. Well, obviously you made your way to Utah. I did. And... Tell us about that, about your life in Utah, and then follow that up by telling us about the whole journey of starting to ask questions and having some doubts, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I fell in love with the Bakersfield boy. So I, he and I, he was already going to BYU, and I had just graduated high school and um, didn't get accepted to BYU, which was a huge blow to my whole family, quite honestly, it was like what we were all working towards. And I just never was, I was never even serious about school, let alone um, BYU. But so he, he was going there and I came up to school at, I mean, I'm dating myself. It was UVSC at the time. Mm -hmm. And I went to school there and we started dating. We ended up getting married and then he transferred to the U he was like, I need to get out of here <laughs> and that little bubble that exists down in Provo. And um, so he, he went to the University of Utah. And so we lived there for a few years in Salt Lake. And then when he graduated, we just started, uh, started a family. We moved back to Bakersfield. So we were there for about 12 years. And then just on a whim, we were at a place financially where we could go anywhere. 
And um, we came up to Utah and found a house and literally made an offer. And we've been here for 16 years now. Wow. Yeah. So it was kind of it was kind of a way to move. We moved away from our families and our friends, and it was a way for us to kind of establish our own family and our own traditions and kind of be a little more independent than we had been up to that point. Did you consider yourself LDS at this time when you got here? Yes. Were you attending the LDS church? Yeah. So I did not have, I know, I know a lot of um, people that have left the church and there was always something like whether it was like I drank coffee or a word of wisdom or there was infidelity in marriages or um, I couldn't do the tithing thing. I was v- very obedient and just again, not because I'm just so great. It was just because I didn't know any different. It was from a very small age. That's all I saw. And because it had blessed my parents so well, it was gr- a great model. And so why would we rock the boat on those things? And so we were always uh, temple recommend holders and we were always paying our tithing and you know, do, always holding a calling. And so whether I was in the Relief Society presidency or the Young Women's presidency or teaching Sunday school and John was doing the same thing, um, he taught a lot of Sunday school and we've had that conversation, Paul, where he, uh, he would hear these young teenage kids bearing their testimony and he would cringe inside cause no one's talking about Christ and it's all, you know, membership and profits. And so anyway, uh, a lot of that sparked, uh, some, some things in us, but for me, for John and I, my husband and I, it wasn't even a. It's not like I woke up at 42 years old and was like, I need to drink wine and have a cup of coffee. Like it, that wasn't what happened for us. I think a lot of people that are still in the LDS faith, it's easier for them to understand that when somebody says those things. It was, oh, they can't live the word of wisdom mm-hmm. or things are, it's just too hard. And, and that was never a, an issue for us. I, for us, it was a lot more doctrinal mm-hmm. and it just became more of, something real that we could, we could trust. Mm. And so, um, I always tell people if they're not at a place to really know the LDS faith, don't even start down that road. Mm. Like if, if you're not at a place where you are saying truth and something real is more important than the emotional ripple effects that it's going to create, Mm. then probably stop looking and just Mm. keep going to church. Because there's uh, a lot you're going to have to adjust to and handle and mm. be okay with in that in that process. Well, what were some of the things that started to just kind of pop up in your thinking? Discussions you had with John. Um, what were those things that said, "Man, we gotta we gotta take a real hard look at this thing." Yeah, I think the first one was just the hypocrisy. And I know that exists in every religion. Um, there is something very unique about the Utah culture that just exacerbates those things. Um, and especially having teenagers where the focus, you know, these, some of these youth could be really horrible to each other, but as long as they go to church every Sunday and they're not drinking and smoking, they're good kids. And I thought, I, I didn't grow up in Utah. I grew up in California where that's not, that doesn't equate to good kids. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to raise humans that are decent to each other and uh, their habits are pretty uh, not important as far as, you know, long-term the, how healthy their lives are. So some of those things started to really bother me and um, it kept me from going to church. I, so I have to give you a little picture of our family. Um, we have a 
24 year old, uh, a 23 year old, a t- almost 21 tomorrow, and then a eight year old. Oh, wow. So we have a, a, a little one who I used him as every excuse to not go back to church. He, you know, I would tell people, well, he hates the nursery or he's sick or, I mean, I just found every reason to stay home with him and not go. And John was still teaching Sunday school, so he was still there every Sunday. But um, the, I looked for reasons to not go because uh, it, it got to a place where I couldn't rationalize certain things in my mind. Um, and you, some of the leadership positions, you start to see things kind of behind the curtain, I guess, that just didn't, didn't sit well. So wow. it was it was easy for me to find those reasons at, at one point. Yeah, it's interesting to me. You, you spoke to something a couple minutes ago that I think uh, I just wanted to go back and highlight. Uh, we've had people on the podcast, and of course, we hear a lot of stories of, that are sort of down and out. You know, yeah. something major happened in their yeah. life. Uh, you know, they, they lost their temple recommend. They lost their marriage. They, for lack of a better phrase, couldn't hack it. You mm-hmm. know, it was too hard. But your story is different than that. It is. You were able to check every box and yet it still wasn't, it wasn't true. Yes. It, it worked. It could have worked for you. Yeah. The only problem was it wasn't true. Yes. And you began to <laughs> investigate that. In fact, just last week on our social media, I was, remind, I was reminding people of an article I read a, a while back that said, if there was a button that you could push and you would know for certain if your beliefs were true or false the moment you pushed it, would you push the button? Mm-hmm. And what I heard you say is for some people, if you're not ready for that tough don't answer, push the don't push the yep. button. Except for Jesus would say, Jesus would please say, push, push the, the button. button. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we want to follow truth where, wherever do. it leads. You know, that's, that's we do. who we are at and, and that is where I've had to kind of clarify with people, even even uh, family, friends, neighbors, where they they are trying to understand why we left the Mormon church. I mean, they need a label and a box to put it in for them to wrap their brain around it because how, I mean, you still have a good family. You still seem to be wanting to do good things in the world. Like they're looking for like, why, why? Mm. And um, I had to tell them I had to remove man from the equation and organizations and requirements. And I, I needed to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ directly Mm-hmm. And I had th- the problem with that for a lot of people that don't have the structure or maybe they felt betrayed in that process. And so they have a lot of trust issues when they leave mm-hmm. the church. So then they don't, they start unraveling and they don't know when to stop. Mm-hmm. So they let go of all of it, mm-hmm. which is why you hear some of the other podcasts or stories out there where um, I would say the majority of people that leave the LDS church become atheist or at least agnostic. They, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or they just re- recognize, I don't, I don't want to believe anything because it has burned me or hurt me or mm. I can't reconcile these things in my, my head. And especially when it comes from, I mean, those belief systems came from and untruths came from parents and loved ones and leaders and people that you put your life in their hands. So it's, it's painful. And, and, and I don't think a lot of people that are still rooted in the LDS church, empathize with those things. And that's that makes it even more painful for their loved ones. I've, I've had conversations with family where, because when my husband John and I left the church, we made a very conscious and difficult and still intentional decision to love people through them not understanding. And they've said hurtful things and they've done hurtful things. And we've had to recognize that 
because of where they're at and their understanding, we've been there as well. And so we just need to love them through it instead of ruin relationships in the process. Cause that was the scariest part for me. I've told Paul this before, you know, here at SMCC, they've done a phenomenal job of everything from, um, you know, the, the transitional courses, you know, the difference between Christianity and the LDS religion. And, um, my husband, John and I attended, um, that course and, um, we keep changing the name. Tell me the name of it again, Paul. Mm-hmm. Turning point. Turning point. Yeah. Paul doesn't it's not remember. next steps. It's turning not, point. What and is what is Christianity? Christianity yes. Yeah. So turning point. Um, uh, the very first time we went, um, they were so logical. Nothing was offensive. I, I went in there fully emotionally prepared to still defend the LDS church in my head, even though logically I knew I I didn't believe those things anymore. It's still wired inside of you. So I came in very defensive. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to participate. I'm just here to, to see what, you know, else is out there and, you know, what, I'm just going to be a student. I'm going to learn. I'll absorb it. And I very quickly recognized that my definition of Christianity from a Mormon background was so completely off, which is why I even had people ask me, you know, how, well, what, what are you going to go to? Like, if mm-hmm. you can't believe this, what can you believe? And again, that's that rhetoric that keeps coming back. And there's a few things within that, that the church, the rhetoric of, of things that are said that have just been said so much that nobody can even question. No, they don't question, but you also can't go to a source like where, who said that? And why did they say that? And why do we believe that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. What was that picture that you had of evangelical Christians as an LDS person? I so mean, what did you think? Christianity, when you grow up in the Mormon church, my definition of Christianity from what I had been told uh, was kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. You can basically do whatever and and say whatever and live however, and then on your deathbed, you can proclaim your love for Christ and you've got a golden ticket. Mm-hmm. So to growing up in the LDS faith, because it is so works-oriented, it is such a harsh difference in, in how you see things, not how you live. This is where I, I didn't understand. Um, and when I recognized that the only thing that really changed in our life was the motivation behind why we live the way we do. It wasn't because we were earning something or we needed favor for something or we needed to make sure and be in the celestial kingdom so that all of our family was there. Otherwise we broke up our family and the level of weight that that held it, the motivation changed where it's just such a pure love and gratitude for Christ that you just want to share that with all the world, with his mm-hmm. children, with, with your own family, with your neighbors. You just want to show love mm-hmm. and it just comes from a different motivation. It, it kind of takes the arrogance out of it. So I'm curious, what were some of the Christian influences? You mentioned that you came to mm-hmm. our Turning Point class and yeah. what is Christianity, but I mean, there had to be some influences before that that kind of got you thinking, yeah. well, maybe I'll try that church. Yeah. And again, a lot of that um, was with not growing up in Utah. So I've, I've always, it's not like I've ever looked and thought, oh, you can only be a good person if you're Mormon, because I've seen, I mean, I have amazing friends all over the world, not just in the U.S., 
who are of different religions and they're amazing people. I love them dearly and they are doing great things in the world for great people. And, um, so I, I was never able to rationalize that mentality. Um, but here I think it, it had more to do with, um, friends of ours who had recently left the church and unfortunately, and I'm, this isn't something that's endorsed by the church, but it is something that culturally happens when people leave the church, you as a member naturally step back because it's almost like it's a disease that you're going to catch and they've now become anti-Mormon and anything anti-Mormon. So there is this thing that Mormons listen to Mormons. Like if you're in the LDS faith, you only turn to things that are LDS written or provided or doctrinally approved or leaders that are active and and giving you the messages that come direct from the prophet. And so it's, it's rare um, for us to, uh, we're just not wired that way. We'd have people leave the church and we're like, well, shouldn't we love them more? Shouldn't we spend more time with them? Shouldn't we ease their pain and know that our friendship is not based off of a religion or, you know, where they're at in their life. And so the more we do those things, the more we could actually understand them. And, and then when you would actually ask questions and they would be like, well, I, I cannot reconcile this Becky and I can't reconcile church history and I can't reconcile. I mean, they'd start to make these lists and I'd be like, ah, I'm listening, but I'm not listening. Well, my husband was definitely listening uh-huh. and he was going home and researching. And there was a moment, I still remember this moment where he came to me and he's like, Becky, like you have to see some of the stuff I've read. And it's not, it's not things that are from, you know, people that are trying to put down the church. This is from historical prophets within the church. Like some of the things that have been said and believed and that were lived. And, um, it's sometimes their history is their, their worst promoter. So, um, anyway, we, I was, I, there was a point where I said, you need to stop because, between all the transitions we have going on with, with kids and life and work and everything else, you, we cannot do this right now. I can't do one. I can't emotionally handle one more transition right now. And he just kind of agreed. And, um, and this is probably my biggest sense of regret is the fact that for about a year, he was doing all of this research without sharing it with, he was holding all and still going to church at the LDS church every Sunday. I wasn't even going, I was staying home and he was doing all this research and holding all this in and going and trying to reconcile things in his own head and, you know, falling asleep, praying at night, just trying to grasp onto something. And it wasn't until, this is funny. It wasn't until I watched the Leah Remini Scientology aftermath that I saw so many similarities between Scientology and the Mormon church. I mean, other than our, I don't know that our prophet punched people in the face. That was probably the one I didn't <laughs> attribute uh, the, the similarities, but there was a lot of similarities in those things. And it, it was the first moment that I, I was able to step back and have a realistic view of, okay, if I wasn't a member and I'm looking from the outside, I can see how these things parallel and I can see these things. And yeah, so um, then we just stopped going to church, Mormon church altogether. Like we just, that was it. We're not going to hold a calling. We're not going to claim it as ours. It's just, you know, at that point, religion as a whole was evil and nothing is true and who knows if God exists. And it was a very uh, anxiety driven time in our, our household. And um 
there was a moment, probably a year, a year after that, where I just said, this is not how I want to raise our little one with nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. even, even the culture of Bible stories or something like we, even if we do it, we need to do something. I mean, or do, is there a church that exists that can provide that without all the other layers of man-made things on top? Like how do we, and how do you even find that? Like you just Google best churches out there. I mean, how do you <laughs> Yelp find reviews. this? Get, exactly. Get, review, get my yeah. Yelp reviews on. Um, so my husband called a dear friend and back in Bakersfield, here goes the, the Baco crowd again. Um, and who had left the church years ago and said, how did you find a church or what do you look for? And he goes, you know, what's funny is there was a pastor that used to pastor here and I don't know him personally, but I heard he moved to Utah and started a non-denominational church up there. And I, I'll see if I can find him. So he calls back a couple of days later and says his name's uh, Pastor Roby. He has a church called SMCC. It's in Draper. How far is that from you guys? And I said, 10 minutes from <laughs> us? You got to be kidding me. And he's like, no. And he's like, so go. So we did. We just got online and saw what time church was. And um we came and just John and I, we weren't going to bring our kids. You know what I mean? Like you're still in protective. I don't know what we're going to get mode. And you walk in and you know, you see people just casually dressed and you, you got to know growing up in the Mormon church, um, every Sunday. Okay. Imagine having to wake up every Sunday, Eric, go home and tell your wife this and, and say, you're welcome for not having to raise our children this way. Wake, wake up every Sunday morning as if you're going to do family pictures that day. <laughs> Everyone is dressed in their Sunday best. Mm. Every little curl in your little girl's hair, every cowlick fixed on your little boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, from penny loafers to a tie to every, every Sunday morning. It was like the most dreaded day for me in my life because it was the most stressful trying to create this picture-perfect family to go to church for three hours and then just be stressed about every little noise your child makes because it's the most quiet, reverent, you know. I mean, you could hear anything. If somebody coughs, you you know who coughed. I mean, it's just (laughs) my my grandma used to call it like going to a funeral every Sunday. But so to come in and to, to find this very welcoming environment and a, a coffee bar in the lobby and uh, my husband's Dutch so he went straight for the coffee and and then we went in and there's this music which honestly as much as I love it it was probably the biggest adjustment to going to church because it was just a different form of music and I there's still a place in me like I've even asked people how do you get to the place where you're so free that you just open your arms and sway and sing and dance like you're the only one in the room like I look at those people and I'm so envious of just being that free at some point where it's just you and God and the music and anyway it was uh it was a it was a very moving experience and and so we we made a point to to talk to Paul afterwards and loved the message and the sermon I mean John and I were bawling our eyes out the first what was it about do you remember at all I'm not to put you on the spot, but sometimes people remember like, you know, he said that and it stood out to me. I'm just curious if you remember anything like that. I don't remember the first one. It's funny because I listened to one of the podcasts where the girl talked about the zealot. And I remember that sermon stood out to me like, uh, I mean, just hit me like a ton of bricks. But every single one was just an epiphany. And it's almost like we were hearing the Bible for the first time Hmm. because you were taking away all of the membership stuff. And just learning 
historically too, and, and understanding who God was and then understanding who Jesus was. And there was no end game. It was just get to know, get to know God Mm -hmm. (laughs) as simple as that sounds. I know that sounds so simplistic to people that didn't grow up in the Mormon religion, almost like, well, duh, Becky, that's what church is supposed to be. But that wasn't always our experience growing up. There was usually a an end end game with a lesson. You know, this is really interesting to us, and we're really happy to hear about your first experience at SMCC because so many people talk about how fearful they were. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like that was part of your story, that you didn't fear walking across that threshold no. of the front door, like this could be I love my those first stories, step though. toward hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, like I've heard you talk about that. Like the first Sunday they just, they got to the parking lot and yeah, turned around and went back. Froze, and then yeah. The next Sunday they made it to the door and turned around and went back. But, but it was a moving... It was moving. ...time for you. It, it was. It, it felt... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but at least it felt like you were making a connection to God, it sounds like. Yes. It it felt like a place. It was a, the best way to explain it is it was a safe environment. It was a safe environment to still have doubts, to still have fears, to still not have all the answers. I mean, here we are how many years later, and I would never claim to have all the answers. But I love the fact that it is a safe place to learn and grow and to question and to still be loved and to still have a community. And those are things that we always knew that we wanted. What were some of the other influences in your life during this time that would kind of lead you toward a relationship with Christ without the LDS church involved? So a dear friend of mine who we talked about is my friend John Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that are not familiar, he's written a few leadership books in his time. The John Maxwell, yeah. not like another one. Yes, the, John, the Maxwell. John Maxwell. And if you don't have his book, you should go get it. If It doesn't matter what religion you are, go get it. Uh, but he he has become a dear friend and there, there definitely was a moment, but we had been friends even when I was in the LDS church. Um, but there was a moment where he, he had asked me to, to come on board and do some other things with marketing with him. And I actually had to tell him no. And he kind of looked at me like, what's going on, Becky? And I just had a moment where I had to tell him and a couple of people in his staff who I adore, um, that John and I had left the LDS faith and it was just a very difficult time for us. And I, I wasn't at a place to commit to taking on one more thing cause we were just emotionally broken and we were trying to put those things back together. And he and, and, uh, his CEO, Mark Cole and a dear friend, Aaron Miller, um, they've all, they just wrapped their arms around us. I mean, they literally prayed over us at that exact moment. There were moments that John, um, I mean, he would call almost daily just to check in and, and to answer questions. And um, because trying to understand who God was at that point was, was hard even. And, and that, that was probably, it's interesting, since, since leaving the church, I mean, I have banned myself from arguments on Instagram uh, from about religion at this point because it just gets to a place. But there are moments where, again, when you leave the LDS faith, it's, it's because you were drinking or because, there, again, the label is placed on you um, and where people claim that they're still Christian in the LDS faith, I think is where the friction starts to happen between Christianity and and Mormonism. And nobody, you know, believing in Christ is one thing, but I, my understanding of Christianity now and knowing who God and Christ are in that 
Trinity is a very different place than where I grew up as, as the Godhead, where, mm-hmm. you know, God is one of many gods who was came from a God before him, and we can all become gods after him. And Christ was the chosen one after, you know, after he and Satan had a little dispute of who was going to, uh, you know, influence this world and Christ was chosen and he became the God of this, of this earth. And so he is our mediator and he is the son of God, but all of these things transition. And so just understanding, because growing up in the Mormon faith, my understanding of the Trinity was God was just a shapeshifter. Like one moment he was God, one moment he was Christ, one moment he's the spirit, like who's he praying to when he's on the cross, if he's God, you know, these, again, the rhetoric that comes through that just stays with you. So then you're like, well, I can't believe anything then. So then nothing's real. So um, I think I told Jenny this, and this will probably be a book that I, I get to at some point, but there, I call it the swaddling effect. When you grow up in an organized and to call the Mormon church organized is an understatement. It's really an OCD religion. I mean, it is over-organized. To grow up in an organized religion where everything is structured, I call it the swaddling effect, where you bring this brand new baby home and because they're so used to being contained and that level of warmth and not being able to move and constrained, you swaddle them to make them feel more comfortable. And in an organized religion, it's that same effect where there is mm-hmm. rules and obedience and line upon line and everything that's layered on. and you feel more comfortable with all of these answers, even if they're not proven answers, they're pretty pictures that we've held on to. As soon as you are unswaddled and that blanket is released, this level of fear and anxiety and mistrust and all of these things occur, it's very easy to want to grab that blanket and just roll yourself back up in it mm-hmm. and be like, you know what? It's just easier to live in my belief of what I want to believe. And I choose to believe. So that's where I'm going to be. It's, it's, we tell ourselves things like it's, it's a great place to raise our kids and it's, it's been a good place and it has answers. And so we've, we've chosen to wrap ourselves in that blanket. But what I want people to understand is getting through to that other side, there will be a place where if anybody tried to put a blanket on you again, you would light the world on fire, keeping yourself from putting that level on you because of the relationship. You've recognized that your relationship with God is, it is the answer. It is what is out there. It is what is available and removing all the other things as scary as that is for someone who's been structured their whole life your daily life, the rest of your life, your eternal life has been painted for you to now be in charge of that, it can still cause a lot of anxiety. Well, it sounds like there's some pretty important elements to this there story. Are. And that is, there, are. Um, there was some questioning, some and which caused doubt. Yeah. There's some research. That's part of the story. There's a trusted friend that now could... Like a guy like John Maxwell, he's got credibility in your life. You've already seen the way he handles situations, the way he treats people. Yeah. And so now when he says something about his own personal faith, mm-hmm. it, it means something. It does. And then and then you add that, okay, now I go to a church that seems like a safe place mm-hmm. to invest my time and my energy in getting to know who God is for myself. These, all these things, it seemed come together yeah. in your story in, in such a beautiful way. They do. And there's no denying that God works through people because I've, I've seen that throughout my entire life, but, but definitely in the last few years of when things could have gone really wrong, 
I mean, I think one of my biggest fears was that our our marriage wouldn't last. I mean, I I got married at 18. My husband was 22. Um, he had just found out that he wasn't going to be able to serve a Mormon mission, um, even though he had gone through this year-long repentance process, and it literally had to go through a bishop and a stake president all the way through the authorities in the church office building, and he had to wait for a letter to come back. And they basically told him, if you do this repentance process for a year, and you go to BYU, and you do these things, after that year, then you can go on a mission. Well, after that year, they still came back and were like, we're, we're not going to let you go. And it broke his heart. Like it broke his heart. And there's even this like underlying insecurity that did, did he marry me? Cause that was what he was supposed to do then. And I was the bishop's daughter. And mm -hmm. if you don't go on a mission, then you get married. Cause otherwise you're just a nuisance to the world. Like what else do you do at this point? And so all of these things just come out of you and, you're thinking, how does that negate 27 years of being married, you know? But um, those are those are all part of what you look back and define you um, as a person. So it's, it's interesting to go back and now you get to, you redefine yourself without a religion attached to you. Hmm. You have an interesting way, Becky, I love listening to you talk about this, of describing this experience. I mean... Uh, the warm blanket, the swaddling blanket <laughs> analogy, uh, that was like an aha moment. I'm like, oh my goodness. We've talked about how tradition can feel like a warm yeah. blanket, how religion, even if it's a fiction, can feel like a warm and comfortable um, blanket. So, man, I appreciate the way that you're describing well, this. Eric, one of the questions we'd like to ask each person is, what's been the hardest part of your journey? And I think you've described it without us asking that question. Yeah. It's the, okay, where are the rules? And how am I doing? And what's the what's, structure? What's yes. What's next? Where are we going? Yes. How do we live? Where Where are the rules? Who, who tell us what to do? Who slaps my hand? Tell Where's us what the to process? do. SMCC. Yes, yes. So there, um, there is definitely a lot of, um, I, I guess, fear that's still there. But that I think that's actually what we're supposed to live with. I mean, the idea that there aren't answers. There's just someone to turn to, and that and that God is. The one that you turn to, it's not, uh, it's not about everything. Everything else is a distraction. And so finding your security in that love and, and that grace, which, I mean, there, I, do you know how many books I read on grace since mm -hmm. I've left the, the Mormon church? Mm -hmm. Like it's not something very, uh, talked about very much within the, the LDS faith. So how long have you been at SMCC now? Um, three years. Okay. Yeah. Which SMCC yeah. value, you know, thinking back over the last three years and where you are today, what is it about SMCC or what value of ours resonates with you most strongly now as you think of Belong Before You Believe, Members Value the Guests, or just anything in the SMCC experience? What, what is it that stands out to you today is most helpful? The most significant is probably what you guys are working on right now with the fully devoted, fully delighted. Mm -hmm. The idea of having joy in your life while you're devoting yourself to God is uh, not something focused on. Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't focused on with me. The joy came from serving. The joy came from knowing you're doing what's right. The joy came from, look, your family is well taken care of and your family is living, mm -hmm. living the gospel. And th those were the, those were the takeaways of joy, but to actually understand what fully delighted in, in Christ means and what it feels like. It's, uh, 
I mean, without getting all emotional right now, because I hate getting emotional, <laughs> so I'm not going to, you're not breaking me down, you guys. Um, That's not the goal. Yeah, I'm not, I, it's interesting because I, I, I'm almost scared of emotion now. Mm. You know, I think mm. one of the first um, sermons, to go back to that one, one of the first sermons was talking about what the actual spirit is because growing up I was taught that the spirit is an emotion. It is a burning in your bosom. It is a prompting. It is a, you know, if it triggered a crying, that must mean it's true. You know, all of, Mm. all of these things. So to recognize how manipulative our emotions actually are. Mm -hmm. Um, so to be overwhelmed by even a song now, I'm like annoyed with myself because I still have that battle within me. Those pesky emotions. Yes. Faulty emotions. Yes. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's, it's there, but I will tell you, I, and I've shared this with Paul. We got back from Israel uh, right before the, we were the, literally the last flight out of Tel Aviv before they shut the airport down and to witness tangible truths. I mean, just to see locations of cities and King Solomon's temple and uh, walls and rings and seals and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and just to see something so real and tangible, to, to be in the presence of Christianity and Judaism and the Muslim communities, and all of them recognize Jesus Christ as a figure and a, you know, and a, at least a prophet, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they definitely disagree on who he was, but that he existed and that these things happened. I, it was so reassuring from someone who needed reassurance um, that there have been moments in the last few years that I wouldn't trade for anything. And um, again, uh, just to give people a little reassurance that that swaddling effect on the other side, Mm -hmm. there is peace and Mm -hmm. there is joy and there is comfort. um, And finding uh, SMCC has played a huge part in allowing us to find those things and do it in, on our own time and our own pace with really loving guidance around us. So I've always thought, could you get your money back if you went on one of those Book of Mormon tours oh, to, to Central America? <laughs> <laughs> going, hey, now, wait a minute. No. Yeah. Oh, you should hear some of the things my husband would ask our tour guide just to aggravate him about historical stuff. And um, yeah, so... <laughs> It, it was it was reassuring to to see those things, yeah, but I, I could but see I would say the hardest part. I mean, I, as much as anxiety that we had to work through and are still working through, the ripple effect that it has on our family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the only member of my family who have left the LDS faith, and so there is definitely a twinge of pain. Um, and knowing that I'm the source of that is still difficult to process and and to hold and to carry and to still stay close to my family and make every effort to, to love and understand through those things, even though they're not able to sometimes do the, the same thing. They try, they're trying, but, um, and I've had many conversations where they tell me how much they love me, but there is a source where there's a difference between someone loving you and someone understanding you. And for them to understand, they'd have to see everything I've seen and Mm-hmm. read everything I've read and know everything I know. And again, if you're not willing to go down the rabbit hole, you, you don't, you don't want to start. So yeah. it's a, it's a process, but. You know, one of the things that we recognize is there's people listening that are not LDS, that have never been LDS, yeah. have not left the Mormon church because they've never gone down that road. So they are interested, however, in being effective in befriending, 
mm-hmm. and reaching out and connecting to LDS people. Right. And so what advice would you give them? What's the best way to do that? So there are a couple triggers that uh, will make your blood boil after leaving the LDS faith. Um, some of the things are the, the gaslighting uh, with mm-hmm. the some of the marketing campaigns that go on right now, the light the world and the give thanks. And because those things are directed from someone and from, from someone outside the church, it, it's a marketing campaign. Within the church, it's a directive from a prophet. But I almost wish they would have someone outside the church become their marketing director to recognize how offensive it can be. Um, Because, again, taking a stance like we have something that other people don't have and it's our job to fix people and to put this out there. um, I would say... um, be careful with that be, uh, because what you think is, is benefiting the world might be creating a bigger divide mm. in those things. The other thing is when people say things like, well, no, we still love you even though you've left. You know, you, you, everybody makes their own choices and everybody has their own path. And th- those are not helpful. Those are very condescending mm-hmm. and uh, antagonizing as well. So then you have to look back and be like, oh, because my choices are bad and your choices are good. And so you, because you've been in it, you know where that's coming from and what they actually, you can read between the lines for what they're actually trying to say. Like They're basically saying, we love you even though you're all messed up, but but we can't, we're not supposed to judge you even though we're judging you, but we're not supposed to judge <laughs> you. So it's, you know the mental process because you've been there and I've done that to people so you just kind of have to step back. And again, the best advice I can give people on this side that have left is just to love everybody through that. And for those that are still in the LDS faith is to still wrap yourselves around those people, but to know that the boundaries are going to change. Um, meaning there are just certain things that you can't address. It's amazing that we live in this world. Like when I grew up, you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics and all these, none of that exists anymore. There's no more boundaries and everything is so polarized, but to still be able to reach out to people and understand them and still love them. I think that's probably the most Christ-like form of love you can put out there. I really like that because if we'll just start lead with questions instead of statements and not assume anything. And one of the things I think I've learned, having lived in Utah for 22 and a half years now, is no two stories are the Mm -hmm. same, no two people are the same, no two experiences are the same. Do not assume anything. Ask questions. And so you're confirming that approach to me. Well, last question. Why do you continue to call SMCC home, Becky? Because I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love the music. I love the people. I love my coffee. I love, I love all of it. I really do. They're there again, that level of safe space. It's, it's priceless. Um, I love that for people that want to learn more about Christianity. I mean, before you even call yourself a member of the congregation before you, if you, even if you're never going to be baptized or whatever, even if you just say, you know what, I want a place where I can develop a relationship with God Mm -hmm. and I can have the, the, the love and the, the support to still, to still have questions and to still learn. And all of the great classes that SMCC has to offer, I would encourage everyone, even if you're still a member of the LDS faith, go to some of these classes, go to what is Christianity? Have a better idea of what Christians actually believe without all of those levels of 
uh, rhetoric that has come from the Mormon faith that you've grown up in, because what you think you understand, I promise you don't. And um, there's definitely, and it's not, no one's trying to convert anybody in these classes. No one's trying to convince anybody. I mean, we sat next to a guy who literally would still not at the end of the class claim that there was a God. And I mean, I wanted to hug him the whole stinking time, but um, there's just so much pain inside of people and everybody has to process it differently. And hopefully we can love and respect each other enough to give them that, that space and that mm-hmm. time to, to do it on their own, their own path. And SMC does that. Man, that is that is fantastic, Becky. Thank you so much. I mean, the things that you've talked about, I'm gonna I'm gonna be thinking about. I mean, religious OCD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think people call it scrupulosity, which is this fancy word one, for too. it that's been on my mind. I want to do a series someday called yeah. that. Um, to the idea of uh, the motivation changing for you rather than obey to be accepted. It was because I'm accepted. I want to obey. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big deal to the the swaddling thing. You should write that book. I'll read it. So, all right. Um, all right. Do that. <laughs> so Becky, where can people find you? I'm sure they can follow you on Instagram. Just type in they your can. name. Yeah. Just Becky Versell. Um, we have a leadership organization called greatest version of you. And we've done a few podcasts ourselves and um, just learning that life is a journey and everybody's journey looks differently. And if, mm-hmm. just like you guys are doing, if we spent the rest of our lives, letting people share those stories and we all got to learn from it, I think mm-hmm. that would be my, my happy place. Awesome. Hey, let me just do a shout out because John Maxwell will be at SMCC February 1st, nine o'clock ish to noon ish. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll do a book signing and we're excited to host yeah. him again. He's going to come hang out. That'd yeah. be great. You can connect with Becky on a Sunday at the Draper location. Absolutely. Most often I saw you there a couple days ago. Um, well, thank you for listening to this, the final episode of 2020. We'll be back in 2021, continuing this uh, season with more stories on the podcast. To all of our listeners, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you in that new year. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.